On the Record with White House Correspondent April Ryan. It is indeed an honor to be with you today. I'm telling you, I've got someone who I love to listen to. The wisdom just exudes from him anywhere he walks and talks. I'm talking with not just a former mayor, not just a former dean, but the president of the University at Baltimore, Kurt L. Schmoke. And we're talking about a topic that he really got a lot of national attention for in the 80s, and that was the decriminalization of drugs, something that we're talking about a bit here in Washington uh, with this opioid crisis. Uh, President Schmoke, thank you so very much for joining me today on On the Record. Well, thank you, April, and I uh, appreciate your continued interest in this issue because it has such an impact and, and a very negative impact on the quality of life of urban areas around the country. Right. And, and, and you gained this national attention back in the 80s. I mean, you testified about the decriminalization of drugs. Let's take people back there and then bring them forward about this opioid crisis that people are talking about, um, you know, uh, this thing where they're talking about uh, Johnny is is smoking this or, or snorting this versus Jamal, who was doing this back in the 80s, you know, or, yeah. or before that. Yeah, it's a, it's a really shame. Addiction, I've always said, is, uh, is a medical problem. It's a public health problem that ought to be treated that way. But back in the 1980s and early 90s, we were having uh, problems uh, related to crack cocaine, and uh, kind of wars in urban areas over the distribution rights of, um, of uh, crack. And uh, people were talking about treating the drug problem as just a crime problem. Let's arrest our way out of this. And I was basically saying, no, uh, that there's three aspects of this. There's addiction, it's AIDS, and then there's crime. And two of the three of those are public health problems. So let's treat the war on drugs more as a public health war rather than a criminal justice war. And you can kind of hear echoes of that now when people are talking about opioids, which are killing more people than, than guns uh, in, in our uh, society. And they're now talking about it at the federal level and uh, at state levels uh, primarily as a health problem. Uh, to be addressed rather than uh, lock up everybody who's an opioid user or an opioid prescriber. Now, this wasn't just a knee-jerk reaction for you uh, back then. You got a lot of um, criticism for this, um, a lot of criticism. I mean, and I, and I think back, you know, you're, you didn't make a knee-jerk reaction when you were mayor. You are a Rhodes Scholar, you're a lawyer, and you used to work in the Carter White House, correct? Correct. Yeah, yeah. I uh, well, at the time... The, uh, people would have to uh, <laughs> kind of think back uh, what was going on back in the 80s and 90s, you know, because that was a time where Bill Clinton uh, was talking mostly about uh, arresting our way, you know, a heavy crime bill. And uh, the leaders of the Black Caucus, uh, Charlie Rangel in particular, uh, viewed the comments that I was making about decriminalization or uh, treating this as a medical problem. He, he thought it was so horrible that, that I should be considered a dangerous man. Mm. So, uh, But the bottom line is that I knew from my experience as a prosecutor, and I'd been a, a prosecutor for eight years, uh, you know, the state's attorney in Baltimore and then an assistant United States attorney, and I just knew from that law enforcement experience that the drug problem was much more complicated than just arresting people and you had to provide uh, treatment, you had to provide a lot of uh, mental health uh, services, 
Uh, you had to provide jobs and try to uplift communities. And all those things uh, were unrelated to how many prison cells uh, you were going to build. So uh, slowly but surely, you could start to see uh, people making a change. And the current uh, change uh, in policy, I think, it relates to the fact that so many people who are upper income and not living in uh, the ghettos, uh, that they're being affected by uh, the drug problem. And so that's got the attention of a lot of our elected officials, and they're treating it more as a health problem than just a crime problem. So in, in moving forward now, since instead of just making it a crime problem, they are looking at it uh, somewhat as cutting into prevention and, and treating it now uh, in this Trump administration. What do you think about this? I mean, during the campaign, that was one of the, the preeminent issues that they were hearing from middle America, from the, the, the flyover states, you know, right. as I guess other communities like Baltimore and, and, and New York and, and Los Angeles and, and many of the, the urban centers had already felt this. What are your thoughts about the efforts now? And, 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 and what do you think about melding what you talked about back then to now? Yeah, well, you're actually seeing um, uh, a little schizophrenia in, in the uh, administration's approach. On one hand, it's good that uh, agencies like the National Institutes of Health and Health and Human Services and the uh, CDC, Centers for Disease Control, are taking the lead in giving out grants to communities. You know, they have this initiative of a community-level intervention program, and they're giving small grants to communities to try to help. But the most publicity that they're getting is from uh, the Department of Justice, from Attorney General Sessions, uh, you know, creating a, a new position of director of opioid enforcement and prevention and uh, talking about a surge, you know, using that kind of war uh, language, a surge over the next uh, 45 days to go after pharmacies and prescribers. But, you know, so you know, on the one hand, you think that they're trying to do uh, more on the public health side, but yet the highest publicity they're getting is uh, – on the old-fashioned uh, war on drugs, uh, more to the Department of Justice and more to DEA. So we'll see how it, it works out, but uh, I'm hoping that uh, at the state level you, that more and more voices are heard about public health intervention rather than uh, incarceration of people. Um, I'm thinking about um, just recently uh, President Trump named uh, Kellyanne Conway as the head of... Um, as the head of his effort for this. But Kellyanne Conway does not seem to be utilizing what's here, the Office of Drug Control Policy, uh, to, to, to help uh, fix this effort. Could you talk to me about what's needed beyond the NIH? I mean, should she bring in drug control policy? Should they be doing listening sessions? What should they be doing, in your opinion? Yeah, I think they ought to have uh, at the table uh, with the law enforcement people, a lot more public health folks. Uh, they To have the NIH and the Centers for Disease Control and um, even uh, folks that are involved with employment and housing opportunities uh, ought to be at the table and say, look, we're going to have a consistent uh, process. This is not going to be just 90 days. This is going to be over the next uh, several years that we're all going to work together to try to coordinate our policy because we know there's not going to be a whole lot of new money given all the cuts to the domestic budget. 
that this Congress uh, is is making. So they got to coordinate and complement the use of their money much better. And the only way they can do that is if all the domestic agencies are sitting at the same policy table. So a special domestic policy uh, unit uh, dealing with the opioid problem is something that uh, would really help. You're listening to On the Record. So what do you see right now when it comes to, and I hate to put it in black versus white, but it's a real issue. I mean, you know, we've been talking about this in the black community for a long time. When they were talking about opioid, we were talking about hair on, PCB and angel dust and stuff like that. And now, you know, people are up in arms. Yeah. Is, is well, it, I mean, uh, it ab- April, it absolutely, the whole discussion about drugs has changed now that uh, national leaders are seeing that it's not just uh, a problem of black and brown uh, people, that it's in rural America, it's in uh, uh, the, the most upper income or the lower income, it's in it cuts across the race. I mean, this is an equal opportunity killer that um, uh, we are addressing. And so fortunately, uh, the current uh, discussion is more and more about treating this as a public health problem. But you can still hear some distinctions where people uh, will talk about uh, the opioid problem of uh, their friends as being a uh, health problem, but the drug problem in the city is those people's problems that ought to be uh, dealt with through incarceration. Uh, but, you know, it's at least the, the discussion has gotten a little bit better on the, on the health side, and hopefully we can all benefit by seeing that this is something that touches everybody and not just a small group of people or a minority group of people in our country. And, and, and for those who like to say I'm a race baiter, I'm not, but stats show, um, you know, and I just think about crack cocaine versus powder cocaine when you talk about the issues of race. Crack cocaine, like Whitney Houston says, whack, said was whack, but guess what? Um, it's considered a black drug versus powder cocaine that's a white drug. And when yeah. they're, and, and I remember uh, President Schmoke, during the Clinton years, they were trying to get the disparity, the sentencing disparity, from 100 to 1 to 1 to 1. And when we talk about the sentencing disparity, we're talking about Black people who or people who use crack, which was mostly black when they were sentenced, they get a sentence a hundred times that of the person who used powder cocaine, which is white. And in the Obama years, it went down from 100 to 1 to 18 to 1. And the person who stopped it from being 1 to 1, the disparity, was U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions. So... There is a racial component to that. And, 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 and President Schmoke, what do you think about even the sentencing aspect? I mean, it doesn't stop people from doing this. No, it, it doesn't. That's why uh, I say you've got to deal with this on multiple levels. And unfortunately, uh, one of the legacies of the uh, war on drugs is that it did have a disproportionate impact on people of color in, when you're talking about uh, incarceration. Um, because drug use uh, was more prevalent in the white community than the black community. But if you look at um, the those who were in prison, you would never know that. And also, uh, when you think about it, uh, in today's discussion, uh, the folks who are pushing opioids are called prescribers. <laughs> the folks that were dealing drugs uh, in the uh, urban communities were called pushers. 
So there is a real uh, distinction of, uh, that people are continuing to make along class and race lines. But I think more and more, as lives are touched by uh, opioids, uh, people are beginning to understand that uh, this substance abuse doesn't know any race, uh, class, or color. If you had a chance to talk to President Trump about this, what would you say to him? I first ask him what would he do if he thought one of his children was a substance abuser. What what would be uh, his reaction? Would he call the police to have him locked up, or would he call a uh, health professional uh, to get him treatment? And I I would think uh, my gut would tell me that he'd want treatment first. And I'd say if that's the way you would treat your own children, why don't you treat the young people of America that way too? Put treatment first. Powerful. Anything else you'd like to add on this? And, and, and again, I'm so thankful to get you on because um, you're one of my heroes. Um, you you go against the grain to make sure that things are right. And um, I appreciate you. And I've always done Well, I, I appreciate you, uh, April, uh, raising the issue. It, it has to be, uh, you know, talked about and the, the lens has to stay focused on it. And I just think um, more and more that the communities can talk about it together uh, the faster we are going to get to a resolution of uh, the problem. This, unfortunately, is one of those awful issues that unites the country rather than divides it, and I just hope that we use this as an opportunity uh, to come together and solve a common problem. But do you think Do you think in solving the common problem that when he solves the problem it would be more for rural America versus urban America? Because that's his focus somewhat. Well, it, it appears that just about everything this president does goes to his base uh, first. Um, but uh, as I said, in this particular uh, uh, case, the opioid case, you if, if it's going to be solved in uh, the Trump base, it also has to be solved in the other areas, too, because this stuff crosses state, uh, county, uh, regional lines, and... Um, it doesn't know whose political base it's getting to. It's affecting the entire country. President Schmoke, thank you so much for joining me, April Ryan, with On the Record. Don't forget to subscribe to On the Record on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review. On the Record, a product of American Urban Radio Networks. Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money.